This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. This out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Can Hi, we, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now it's time for Coach Hogg's locker room. Good morning, good morning, good frosty morning here uh, in, well, it's toasty in the Warthog Manly Man Cave Command Center in the Melton Law Studio at 352-325-3938 should you want to message me or Facebook chat over here live or YouTube right now. And yes, we are looking into our contingency plans and backing up with another system, so uh, we appreciate your support on that. We'll keep you posted as we get that going. Um, dangerous these days to have all your um, eggs in one basket one. There's so much uh, community standard, quote unquote, that they use to shut down any kind of dissent, basically. So today I got to talk about, they don't seem to know too much about local stuff, so we get away with a lot of that. But um, it's a frosty morning and uh, you're listening somewhere else. Plantation Mark's up in the woods, I know, in Virginia, probably really freezing. Got his stove running hot, I hope, with fresh cut wood. Well, seasoned cut wood and um you know we're you know, posted a picture here a little bit ago on the facebook of the frost and uh kind of pretty but also we get it once or twice a year and this is one of the days we got it we may get it a couple more times but um it was a really an eventful weekend athletically and that's why i'm starting off with coach hogg's locker room um man i'm telling you uh such exciting games that really you had to have a um, your heart in good shape to take it this weekend. I want to, I want to give a huge shout out to the University of Florida ladies basketball team, uh, being coached by Kelly Finley. Um, this this uh, girl right now is an interim coach. She should get the interim removed and be the coach. I sat right behind the players bench during the game, which they defeated LSU. LSU was 11 and two, um, and a week a few days before that, Florida had defeated Kentucky up in Kentucky. Now they come and defeat LSU, who comes to their house uh, with 11-2 record and beat them. And, and, and uh, I got to tell you that the thing I like about this coach is never gets rattled, very calm, very supportive, and very super on strategy. Understands how to move the players around to maximize the benefit. You don't want to miss next weekend. I'm going to tout it right now. Uh, coming into the... Uh, well, what used to be the old dome is the exact tech center now. Next Sunday at noon will be the number one ladies basketball team in the nation. And that's South Carolina. And it's going to be a nail biter, I think. I don't think that South Carolina will just run ramshot over the Gator, Lady Gator basketball team. It's going to be very interesting to see. I think it's going to be tough and struggling and, uh, and uh, it'll be fun. Uh, yesterday's um, basketball contest was uh, you know, a pretty good crowd. It's starting to build. It's starting to realize uh, that we got something special here. And so we hope that uh, 
the ladies' athletic director and, uh, and uh, used to be the former athletic director was a good friend of mine, Anne Marie Rogers, but she's retired. And now we've got another one whom I don't know. And of course, Strickland, who is the uh, athletic director of the athletic directors, I suppose you could say. But uh, um, this uh, coach has really uh, the right chemistry for the players, uh, lets them have fun, um, is also uh, uh, um, give, able to give them a lot of good advice. And uh, they, the players obviously believe in it. Uh, they get charged up. They go out and play super. Um, we've got some really, uh, you know, special things going on here with the Lady Gators basketball team. So uh, you'll hear me talking about it as we get closer. I'm trying to work a deal where I can find a way to interview her on the War Scott Files. Busy lady, I understand that. But I want to be able to give her a push and a support for this is a rare moment in uh, Lady Gator basketball in the University of Florida. We haven't had anything as exciting as this or high quality as this for quite some time. And this is a special example of where uh, we are with this. And it's kind of a kept secret, but it's getting out. It's getting out. Yesterday, people were leaving saying, we're going to come back. We're going to tell people to come here. We want to see an exciting game. Now, no question about it. Uh, it will be very difficult to take on the number one team in the nation, South Carolina. The lady there at South Carolina has had some 15 to 19 years. I can't remember. It's quite a number to build a brand and build a program at South Carolina. Our coach has built it within about five or six games and, and, and is building it and building it. So that's one of the things you have to understand is that a consistency in building the brand and the team uh, is very important. We don't have it in football. Uh, we had it when Steve Spurrier was here briefly. Well, of course, Steve was here. We had it for his duration. I think it was 12 years. Um, but, um, you know, we haven't had it for a while. Uh, we had Billy Donovan here. and We built the brand. And, um, and, and it looks like Mike White has done a tremendous job with uh, the transfer portal. Those guys played exciting basketball. Uh, that was another hard stopper. So right now there's some things going on in, in, in Gator sports that if you are a sports enthusiast, um, you might want to drop by. It's a tremendous deal. Ladies basketball is $5 for general admission, and you can sit wherever you want. I, if this team keeps winning, I predict that isn't going to stay. Um, it's, just, it's just not going to stay. It's, it's one of the, um, the best quality events you can take kids to, uh, uh, everybody. Everybody appreciates this. So it's going to be five bucks to get in, and you can go where you want to go and, and sit where you want to sit and get there early um, and plan to have a good time. Of course, the uh, weekend playoffs game were about as exciting as you could possibly see. Whatever this NFL has done uh, has worked, as far as I can tell. I'm back watching them. It's depoliticized. Uh, they're doing a great job of entertainment. Um, these games were decided by field goals. I don't know what the uh, chances are if you go to Las Vegas and, 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 and ask the odds makers there, what are the chances that these games would come down to field goals? Um, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, Evan McPherson, our own Evan McPherson from the University of Florida, uh, kicked a 52-yarder uh, for the Bengals to win 19-16, to and they're headed to Arrowhead Stadium and Kansas City Chiefs, and they had a nail-biter. That was an incredible display of athletic ability by some talented players in um, uh, both sides, the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. Robbie Gould kicked a 45-yarder, 13-10, to 10, uh, for the 49ers to really, I guess you'd have to consider an upset over the Green Bay Packers. 
And I don't know why the Packers insist on playing in the frigid weather, except I suppose it's their nature. Uh, they could have domed that place a long time ago and uh, um, been, in, 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 you know, more hospitable, but they enjoy it that way. And they think it's an advantage to them because people come in and they're not used to the frigid weather, but it backfired on them this time. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, um, game wasn't there. They couldn't score points. And that was, uh, that was quite, quite amazing to see that happen. Um, so you'll see, uh, uh, San Francisco taking on, uh, Los Angeles Rams at a SoFi stadium in Inglewood, California next week with the NFC championship. So the AFC championship, these are going to be nail biters. Cincinnati has a great quarterback in Joe Burrow who led LSU to the national championship. This guy is as good a quarterback as you'll ever see. Of course, the quarterback for Kansas City is as good a quarterback as you'll ever see. Josh Allen was really a great quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you know, you, you've just got to hand it to the way in which these teams can uh, move the ball up and down the field, the tremendous athletic ability of them. Uh, these players are better conditioned than ever, uh, more specialized than ever. Um, great offensive and defensive lines. So um, you've got a Matt Gay with a 30-yard one, which defeats, uh, uh, which the Rams therefore win and 30-27. Um, and, and uh, of course, you have Harrison Butler with a 42-yarder to tie to send the Chiefs uh, and the Bills into an overtime, uh, and which the Chiefs won 42-36. Um, and I mean, that was a remarkable uh, display of athletic ability and and everybody working together as a team. Um, one of the really interesting backstories to this, though, is the importance of Mike Shanahan to uh, of these um, these uh, these games. Uh, you know, you you uh, Mike Shanahan. I mean, you may may not know was the offensive coordinator for Charlie Pell. And uh, the guy, I know a lot of guys who worked with Shanahan. They saw his brilliance then, and. Um, he really was the one behind Charlie Pell's um, assault on the SEC for Florida. Charlie Pell was a great football coach, and but Mike Shanahan was in his stable as his offensive coordinator. Now, the interesting thing about Shanahan now, and uh, uh, Deontay Lee has covered this for the New York Times uh, and some other people who write about the uh, NFL have noticed it, that Mike Shanahan's pupils are now everywhere. Of course, his son... Um, is um, a coaching, uh, and uh, um, that is that is uh, Kyle Shanahan. And, um, um, you know, we're just going to go through a little bit of what this is. Um, so, so the leaders of three of the four teams in the NFC Divisional round came from Mike Shanahan's coaching tree. Uh, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, they're going to face off in the, in the NFC Championship game. Uh, McVay uh, is now the Rams head coach. And um, he is a Shanahan discipline, a disciple. Um, uh, he uh, holds a three-to-one edge over San Francisco. Um, in the Packers, Matt LaFleur, the three coaches have seven division titles. In the last NFC four-game title games, um, they've had a Shanahan coach in there. So uh, the, uh, the Shanahan system, it's called Shanty Ball. I'm going to go over a little, a little bit with you what Shanty Ball is. A shanty ball is, um, is, a, is a, a scheme and terminology that uh, flavors the offensive style of Shanahan, which is um, uh, a two-back offense implemented 
um, created three Super Bowl champions, but it's also been modified by McVay, who has mixed in motion and jet sweeps and misdirection. But it's basically uh, Shanahan ball, Shanny ball, but uh, with Matthew Stafford, uh, they've been able to modify it a little bit because he's able to go deep like he did yesterday with the ball. So um, the Shanahan system, uh, this rider, Deontay Lee, says is like a good smartphone. It can do anything you want it to do. Uh, you want to quarterback your offense, uh, you get Jared Goff and McVay, and they show you the way. You want a, a running game, you get Kyle Shanahan, um, and you get some uh, vertical passes and run pass options, but it's all built off uh, a, a system created by Mike Shanahan called Shanny Ball. Um, it's uh, really uh, quite interesting to watch uh, the speed at which the game is played now, and that's, that's the whole key. You, the quarterback has got to get rid of that ball uh, in three seconds or, or, or fewer than three seconds, uh, three at the most, ideally. And you got to have a great pass protection. But, of course, what the defense does, it, it, it recruits these tremendous defensive ends who can run around uh, these tackles and get in the backfield and run over it. If you hold the back uh, back there to protect, they run over the back. So um, the, the recruiting of the defensive ends has really been uh, uh, an important thing to do. Um, it is also pretty clear that uh, uh, there, there's a couple of guys that are that are in the middle of the defensive line. Uh, uh, you've got to take a look at DJ Reader, who um, uh, comes from Cincinnati. He is the Bengals' six foot three, two, three hundred and thirty pound defensive tackle, and um, that guy is a force to be reckoned with. Um, the Tennessee Titans couldn't deal with him. Um, and um, he was he was able to get in the backfield quite a bit, rush the pass. Uh, Tannehill, um, you know, just couldn't handle this rush that was coming. So um, the, uh, the, the it's going to be interesting. You're going to have some young, enthusiastic uh, quarterbacks that the vets all have rallied around. It's going to be an exciting weekend. I have to say, you know, I was very uh, critical of the NFL when they were playing politics, and along that line, um, there has been an interesting kind of uh, argument, or you know, I, really, it's more than an argument. First of all, you got Aaron Rodgers who's blasting Joe Biden uh, for claiming that the U.S. is suffering a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is one of the unvaccinated, and that really irked. Uh, you know, Biden has managed to step in every time he opens his mouth, but for Aaron Rodgers to come out and publicly go after the president is. Um, is really is really noteworthy and has made the news. Uh, and then the other interference in politics is is remarkably um, not so much Jerry West. We understand Jerry West; he's retired, he's no longer playing. There are some people who are liberals in uh, the NBA, but in the college football scene, we saw what it cost Mullen to march down there in the streets with the Black Lives Matter parade. Probably cost him his job. Uh, in some subtle ways, and rapport and leadership ability with student athletes. But um, Saban comes out and publicly uh, um, gets gets involved with this voting rights bill. And the only thing I can figure that the reason he did it, because, you know, Alabama is a very, very conservative state. The only reason I can figure he did it is that uh, uh, he recruits black kids and goes into black homes and as people that he has to, you know, I guess, you know, convince that they, they need to send their player, their son to him. 
I, I still think he should have stayed out of it. I mean, I don't see the gain of anything like that. If he earnestly, God knows, believes that, then he's tremendously misinformed. And people have been, uh, there was a, re- there was a, there was a, there was a representative from Texas who said, um, the guy surely hasn't read the bill. Or, you know, what is he doing? Uh, my people hadn't even read the bill. Uh, and we had to sit down and study the bill. And he could not. He's criticizing. I've got the, the man's name here, um, in, 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 probably in my notes here. But he, uh, um, uh, he says that he could not ever. Let's see if I can dig it up here. It's worth, it's worth knowing. Um, he could not ever have read the bill. And if he did, he, wouldn't have, he couldn't have said what he said. Because it's not about, here it is right here, it's not about voter suppression. This is the big, this representative, Chip Roy, uh, criticizes uh, Saban. Uh, and he says, uh, um, uh, let's see what he, how he puts it. Um, no doubt these famed election law experts spent the weekend, here's his quote, representative's quote, no doubt these famed election law Experts spent the weekend reading the federal legislation, which they were lobbying, the congressman said sarcastically, because I mean, uh, it's a 700 page bill. We got it 1130 last Thursday night before voting on it on Friday. So I assume and he's talking about Saban and West. I assume they read it thoroughly over the weekend because my staff had to stay up in the middle of the night doing actually uh, the reading and studying of the bill. So we knew what was in it. Um, that's very that's very interesting. Um, that's not atypical. People who who have an opinion about something they don't know a thing about, and 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 uh, so we've got this public discourse. I, I don't know why. I don't. I, I can't answer if people ask me why I thought Saban would pile in on that ad. The only thing I can come up with is that he's trying to appeal to future black recruits. I can't think of anything else, and I think that's not good. I don't think you ought to. You, you're the leader. You're up on. You're you're. They're aspiring to be like you. Uh, play the game. Coach a game, man. Coach a game and stay out of something you don't know anything about. And I'll guarantee you Saban had not read that 700-page bill. So um, I just wanted to bring you up to date on that. Um, John Stockton, who is a superhero, uh, a basketball player, in case you don't know the guy, I mean, he really had a tremendous career. He has actually been, let me find this one, kicked off the out of the stadium that uh, out there in California where he is a hero because he won't wear a mask by the side of the court. Um, you know, it is, it, it's incredible. It, it's just incredible that, um, and he, 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 he's not going to wear one. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I've been, you know, I didn't see many masks in the, in the uh, 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 basketball game. So, but the, out there, I mean, it was, it was a really, uh, you know, a bad deal. I mean, they threw him out, and I'm, I'm gonna maybe find it, maybe not. Um, uh, John Stockton, who who uh, um, in his college, in his college, uh, um, went back to see his college, and he probably given a lot of money to that college, and they threw him out of there because he didn't, they wouldn't let him come back because he was sitting there in front of everybody without a mask. So, um, and I'll run up on this thing maybe to break and come back, double back, circle back with you. So to make sure that um, I get it right. But uh, it, it was just really um, earmarks and highlights, does it not? Uh, this this politicalization of this, uh, this whole thing, that the, the responses that are all over the waterfront, as I said before. 
about, uh, um, uh, you know, to mask or not to mask and, you know, what's this mean? What's that mean? And uh, it's really been it's really been hectic. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll dig that up and come back, circle back. I want to come over here to local because local um, in, in the city of Gainesville, and I know a lot of you tune into the show because I cover the city of Gainesville, I'm told, better than anybody else and more thoroughly. Um, and there is a, 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 an attack on the city manager now, this Curry woman, for doing her job. And I'm going to go ahead and side with this uh, city manager um, and because I know what the role of the city manager is, having been a city manager and having been an interim city manager in a community that was all screwed up now uh, and probably still is screwed up, but nobody cares anymore because there's nothing to, to lose down there. If they sink, nobody really, really, really would mind. Uh, that's Archer. But but um, in, in the city of Gainesville, it's got a little more uh, uh, prominence. So, uh, you know, it gets a little more press. Uh, but as um, um, one thing you, you, you realize right away as a manager is that generally the problem is the commissioners. And here's here's why um, the commissioners are limited. They come and go. Uh, but the staff is stays and they're the ones who have the permanency. They're the ones, if you hire good people, they will do a good job and they'll keep commissioners out of trouble. It's when the commissioners start meddling with the staff and go around the city manager that you have trouble. Now, the financial trouble of, of the city of Gainesville is no secret right now. I was talking with some people who know these numbers. It, 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 already, um, the city of Gainesville called in a consulting, I know the name of the consulting firm, well-known consulting firm, uh, to straighten out the city financial problems. Now, that firm spent a year working here and, and build the city of $250,000 or something like that and couldn't straighten out the problems, okay? Um, and because of poor records, poor record keeping. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to come in and listen, when I came, when, down, when I down, went down to Archer, I found out they had two versions of the charter. I found out, you know, nobody knew the rules at all. So if you try to hold people to the rules, these commissioners, they've been doing it their way. They don't like it. They fire you. So here we go. We got already Harvey Ward, banana pudding, who never saw dessert he didn't like, running his yak. You got this Davier Orla who lives with his mother, I learned. He's running his yak. Um, uh, and, and, and they're going to tell the manager what to do. Um, uh, you know, these, sometimes these people get like this. We had a mayor did that around here who ran around, you know, meddling with the city staff and had to be told by the city manager uh, to get the heck out of the city staff. You don't belong here. And and um, so this is this is the situation uh, where you have already spent two and a quarter million dollars trying to straighten out the budget. Now I'm told that there's another consultant coming in to try to straighten out the budget that we've already covered and has been made public news. And that person is going to get two hundred and fifty, two hundred sixty dollars an hour and we'll be here for a year. So you figure up that bill. And uh, and God knows if they'll get to the bottom of it, because as you saw the, the, the testimony as supplied by Nathan Scott, uh, you can't you can't do anything without the documents. And if the documents and the records don't aren't there, how are you going to straighten it out? I mean, it, it's 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 um it, it's, <laughs> it's self self evident. So we've got a bunch of people running around. I say it's better than the carnival. It really is. That's a freak show. The Gainesville City Commission is a freak show. Um, and you've got uh, all sorts of um, uh, comments being made by people who don't know a thing. 
um, about what it is. They've never sat in a chair. They don't understand. They don't even study the rules. I mean, that was one of the things I learned when I was a manager. Uh, the commissioners didn't know the rules. They had to come to me to figure out the rules. Um, and, and I told them, you know, you brought us down here to straighten out this doggone city. And, and the problem is you. And they'd already fired four or five managers before I came. And I didn't care if they fired me or not. Here's the thing. I was told this a couple of days ago, and you all must know it, or you wouldn't be watching the show. There are, few, there are very few people now who can speak their mind. Do you know anybody who can speak his mind without fear? The business guys, they're all, sh they're all shut down. They won't speak their mind politically. They won't say a word because they understand that if they do, they're going to alienate 50% of the people and endear themselves to 50% of the people because the country is split 50-50. I'm not trying to curry anybody's favor. I don't care what people think as long as I'm giving you the honest show and honest information. And you're having a good class. I don't care what you think. You know, go do something else. Okay. Go, go, go listen to somebody else. You don't have to listen to me. But I'm, I'm a rare guy. I mean, somebody told me the other day, I'm the only guy in the community that speaks his mind. Well, I speak it, hopefully, intelligently, with something to back it up. And I can tell you right now, I, I have been a manager. I know what's wrong with these commissioners. I know what's wrong with the city of Gainesville. And I can tell you that when they start nipping at the heels of every, 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 every manager comes along without looking at themselves and their own responsibility, when that city auditor, when that auditor who came to that microphone the other day and that, and that uh, when we showed it to you, uh, when, when he gives this damning report on the finances of the city of Gainesville and all, uh, all the boy named Lauren could say is, OK, thank you very much. Next on the agenda, you've got a real, real problem. And then you throw in banana pudding and never saw a dessert he didn't like and you and let him run his jack because he, what he's running his jack about is he wants to be the mayor. So he's got to play out there like he's a big shot. And the problem with the people is they don't know the difference. Now, one thing the boy named uh, Lauren did get right. He says, and I'm quoting this out of the Gainesville Sunset uh, article. Uh, I think it was in Sunday. Uh, he said, we only function when a majority of this body gives us direction. Uh, he said that, uh, 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 that that's the only way that a city commission can tell a manager what to do is if you uh, you know, they vote on it and as a unit. Now, let me give you an example. When I was down in Archer, we had a commissioner down there who'd been having her way and was a loud mouth and ironically actually called, I'm not going to mention her, you'll know her, uh, actually called us in to help straighten out the city. Well, I realized right away the problem with the city was her. And I called her in and told her. I tried to get her to resign and, and almost did, you know, but uh, it didn't happen. And, 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 uh, uh, here, here's the deal. Uh, they did. They did. They were doing what they wanted to do. Uh, when I came in there, uh, uh, you know that that commissioner basically dominated everybody else, and 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 did whatever she wanted to do. Uh, one time, she asked me to uh, take money from one pot and spend it on one of her pet projects, and for me to make that discretionary move at her request, her individual request. I said, "Hey, doing that." I said, I'm going to go public. I'm going to take your individual request, your individual behavior here with me, public to the whole dais, and I'm going to tell the commissioners what you wanted me to do because I'm not going to do it unless they tell me to do it. And if they tell me to do it, well, then, they, then, then it's their problem. 
and by, you know, so they have to tell me by majority vote that they want me to take money out of one pot uh, and give it to your pet project. It was to pay for some flooring in a community center, which she owed a bill on and didn't have the money for. And they, I'll be darned if the commission didn't vote for me to do it. So I did it. I did it. They told me to. I don't, if you tell me to and you vote unanimous or not, just a majority vote, you and it was three to two or whatever. I don't remember what the vote was. It might have been unanimous. I don't remember. Um, and it was a boondoggle. I mean, it was a fault. But I mean, I wasn't going to get into that. I just wasn't going to do anything illegal because individually she asked me to. Now, when I consulted the city attorney, he said, yeah, they're the lawmakers. If they want to break the law, they can break the law. The commissioners, if they want to say, OK, go ahead and take that money from one pot and put it in another. Um, another thing I had to do was they had a they had a recreation manager down there. They didn't have a recreation department. I mean, they're paying a doggone rec rec recreation uh, person, an arm and a leg. And this same commissioner was interfering with the role of the recreation uh, head that the whole commission had hired before I got there. And and when I had look at, looked at the budget, there wasn't any recreation department. And this thing was about an $80,000 a year job. I cut it. I, I, I eliminated it. And, and, you know, it wasn't any business. It wasn't the business of the commission that that recreation director worked for me. I was a city manager, worked for me. I could cut her a position if I wanted to. And I, and I did it all according to legal hoil and everything I did. It's none of the commission's business. I informed them, but I didn't ask her permission ahead of time. It was none of their business because the staff is the purview of the city manager. So anytime you hear these loud mouths running or yak about uh, on the dais about what a city manager should do, all they're doing is undermining the entire organization. So here's some of the comments that really irked me. Uh, Ariola says, according to the report in the Gainesville Sunset, that he was not pleased at the layoff. So what? So what? It's none of your business. And then he said, I've spoken to the city manager and express my disagreement with some of the reorganization decisions. The city manager doesn't give a damn what you have to say as an individual commissioner. It's when you vote with the other commissioners. And now, if your entire commission, four to seven, four out of seven in this case, decides that they're all uh, disagree with what you did, and they, and they get into a, a, a request that you do something, that's different. But Ariola is just a loudmouth shooting off, doesn't know what he's doing, which is fully typical of most commissioners I've learned. They don't have a clue how things work. There's no school you go to to be a public official. Now, here's another thing. Um, he then pontificates that he really wants to see the organization heal and come to a place where we can begin to focus not so much on personnel, but get the focus back on the service that we're providing for people in Gainesville. Okay, dude, at what cost and what services? You know, I'm the, I'm the manager. You've got to give me some direction. At what cost and what services? Okay, but you can't individually give them to me. Your commission has to give them to me. Now, also, according to this article in Sunset, questioned the timing of the real one. None of his business. None of his business. Um, the staff is the one that stays and the commissioners are one ones that go. Always remember that. We've got a social gadfly here whose name I'm not going to mention, 
because that's what he likes to do is get free public, uh, you know, press. And he really is, has nothing to contribute, in my humble opinion. Uh, he says uh, that the way Curry handled the layoffs was cold. It's none of his business. It's none of his business. He's not even a member of the commission. And why the Gainesville Sunset goes finds this guy to get his opinion, he might as well stop the bus driver. And why Evelyn Fox is not, doesn't have a damn thing to do with it. Go ask the local um, the bag boy at the, at, the, at the grocery store. Their opinion is just as relevant. Why, do they quote, why does the Gainesville Sunset quote these characters? I mean, who cares what this social gadfly says when he, when he says that the layoffs were cold? You know, and then pontificates as if he wrote a book on leadership. The leadership is not about being cold and calculated. What does he know? You know, what does he know? Cold and calculated. Listen, you make the decisions because of the structure of the organization and the ability to pay for that. Now, the commissioners up there have a wish list. They don't know what it costs. They have no idea. The staff has to actually come up with what it costs and has to know where the money is. So you can tell one thing right now, why the city of Gainesville is in trouble with no financial trouble is because of meddling by the city commissioners and the social gadflies that play to the press in hopes of currying some kind of public attention for themselves. It is not, I'm going to make a prediction for you, it's not going to get any better, okay? It's not going to get any better. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see the same old hacks get into the, cur you know, up on the dais, and you're going to hear the same old crap and, and, and diversity and inclusion, and meanwhile, Rome is burning. There's no money. And meanwhile, you're driving up the electric rates, all this, all this talk about affordable housing. All housing is affordable if you can pay for it. So the question is, if you're going to have affordable housing, who is going to pay for it? Because all housing is affordable. I was a chair of affordable housing committee. I know that inside out, okay? And it's filled with emotion and rhetoric by people like this character, okay? I'm going to take a break. I think I pretty much covered the local stuff, the budget, affordable housing hoax. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. Now they won't have an inclusionary zone. You know, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. There's a lot of issues with this. And you, the last thing you need is some guy who never saw a dessert he didn't like and some social gadfly and some NAACP, you know, yak. That's the last thing you need. You need the accountants and they're coming in and you're going to pay them $250, $260 an hour to try to straighten your mess out. And they're going to have a hard time because there ain't no records. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files and play some ditty suitable for this production. I don't know what it would be. We got a whole smut list here we might entertain you with. Be right back on the Ward Scott Files. I know what I'm talking about. This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, 
large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Award Scott Files Gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. would be an insult to stupid people. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. Achtung, Achtung, the papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Much schnell! Check this out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. All right, if your brains were large, you couldn't grease a frying pan. I like that one, and uh, your papers are not in order. Their papers in the city of Gainesville are not in order, okay? Oh, my golly. <laughs> what a great thing here. Pat Summit, yeah, that's who coached Tennessee. Built up a great brand. I think my good buddy, uh, 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 a couple of you guys came up with that. Uh, yeah, Ken, Pat Summit, great lady. Had a great team. People recruited a lot of good players. So I've talked about City of Gainesville. It's not going to get any better. Um, I'm going to talk now about, and I titled the show today, uh, The Three Standbys. And do you know, have any idea? I'm going to wait a second and see if anybody here um, on Facebook chat. And you can also reach me here in the Melvin Law Hotline, 352-325-3938. Uh, in the Mellon Law Studio in the Warthog Command Center here, the Manly Command Center. Got my Rottweiler dog in here with me today since it's kind of chilly. He's lying down here uh, on his bed next to me. Um, follows me everywhere. But uh, they're really loyal dogs, so he's with me. Hey, Roscoe. So anyway, uh, um, what, do, what, what do I mean by the three standbys? I'll take a sip of coffee and see if everybody's up to date here. And if you don't know, you came to the right class today. Anybody got that? Uh, Lloyd, you got that? You know what the three standbys are, sir? I see Doug's watching from Mexico. Robert Wilford is a good commissioner up here in the city of Wallachua. I really like Robert Wilford. Um, and he understands this whole deal. Management. Oh, no, thank you, Robert. You understand it. Um, really one of my favorite commissioners. So we're going to have a show with Robert one of these days. 
because uh, he's retiring from the city commission up here. Been a great, great commissioner. Um, three standbys. I'm just going to wait one more second here. Okay. The three standbys are going to trial in Minnesota. And might you understand who the three standbys might be and how important this uh, trial is going to be to police work. It is going to be incredibly important. Now, let's harken back and give you some cultural background to uh, the three standbys. Uh, 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 two years ago was the murder of George Floyd. Uh, it's now be it's considered a murder because from due process, a jury so declared it. And um, he was uh, two counts of murder and uh, 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 for kneeling on the neck of Floyd, as you know, for more than nine minutes. Now, the problem is there were some guys with him that didn't intervene. And uh, this has become a really important a case to watch perhaps even more in many ways, or the police anyway, who are in the profession than even the George Floyd uh, trial. Um, there were three other people uh, who were on the scene. They're facing a trial beginning today in a federal courthouse in downtown St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, they're accused of willingly failing to intervene against Chauvin to help Floyd. Um, the New York Times is covering this. Tim Morango is covering it. Uh, you're going to see a lot of coverage on it um, and pay attention to it if you're so inclined to be interested in dilemmas like this, because this case is an, a really rare example of a federal civil rights charge being filed. Now, this is this is the this is the rub on this being filed against rank and file officers for not stopping the actions of a superior officer. <clears throat> Isn't that, boy, this is, this is what uh, stories are made of. Can you think of a more tangled web? Um, as my grandmother used to say, what a long tail our cat has. This is going to be a very long tail. This is a very involved story that has all kinds of implications to it, uh, has all kinds of complications to it. Um, probably doesn't have any solution. It only has a resolution. There's a big difference between a solution and a resolution. Uh, a resolution is kind of a, a settlement uh, of differences, but it's not wholly satisfactory to either party in the, uh, engaged in the differences. Um, but this case is about uh, the police culture. So the police culture is on trial. OK, and I got to tell you, as I said the other day, when uh, uh, Lonnie Scott, the new chief here, said that they were going to go out and get the best people they could get for this community policing to try to do something about the crime rate in Gainesville, which is up 14 percent. I said, good luck, because the quality of people who want to do this job is sinking, sinking, sinking. And ironically, one of the reasons it's sinking is because of the way in which the race card is involved in police work. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch this. This is a case, uh, and the reason the, case, the police culture is on trial is this is about officers 
who do not intervene in the conduct of fellow officers. Okay. Now the complication is so many complicating things to this. Uh, federal law requires that police officers intervene in the actions of other officers to stop constitutional violations. Okay. And courts have affirmed that obligation exists for police officers for decades. Uh, at the same time, Police departments train officers to move against other officers to stop misconduct. But the complication is that policing is highly hierarchical. Um, the police culture is, you know, it, it is it is not easy to herd cops. I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, to organize, and you know, you've got a bunch of macho guys. You've got a bunch of strong will. If you got them, if you got cops, you got strong will people tough guys and all, and you've got to have the ability to, to handle them in a diplomatic way, which, and given the hierarchies, and, the, and one of the complications of these hierarchies is they become tied to the retirement, and that becomes tied to uh, salaries and all this kind of business. If you mess up that hierarchy or shake up that hierarchy, usually you don't, there's somebody you're not going to please. So policing is very hierarchical. And, um, it also has what's called a culture of silence. In other words, uh, um, the, the, the other cops don't really rat out somebody of their own who's been accused of wrongdoing. Um, that, that really is counterproductive to going through some of the tensions that these guys have to go through, particularly one of the most dangerous things is, of course, answering the domestic call. Now, if you want to see a very well-written uh, 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 story about policing, go read my work on Wardtop Bulletin Board called The Ride Along. And it's about as well done as anybody can do. And it's it's my my narrative for you about riding along on a Saturday night in the toughest part of town with a black officer. Uh, and then I, at the end of it, write about it and publish it. So uh, tried to publish it in the Gainesville Sunset. They said it was too long. Um, I believe uh, Jennifer Cabrera did publish it in Lotter Chronicle, and I have it there on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. I highly advise you all read the ride along um, because I, I confront a lot of the issues that are going on here. Uh, policing is very hierarchical and it's very dangerous, and it's filled with all sorts of uh, nooks and crannies and alleys and cul-de-sacs and dead ends that you, you have to be very, very smart to be able to handle. Um, so uh, what is being alleged by the federal prosecutors is that these uh, three defendants, I'm going to get into who they are in a moment, uh, uh, failed to uh, intervene and stop Chauvin. Okay. Um, and so the question is, did they enable a criminal act now, once Chauvin was found guilty of a criminal act, that's murder, then are you obligated to have stopped it before it became murder? Now, you think about that, because we have nine minutes being covered here. Very interesting, is it not? To complicate it further is two of the officers were rookies that day, and on their first days on the job, Two of them that arrived there with Chauvin were rookies, okay? And 
One was Thomas Lane, 38 years old. Um, he was on Floyd's legs during the incident. And J. Alexander Kuhn, 28, was on Floyd's back. Uh, the third officer, if you remember, was Tal Teo, who's 36, who is a veteran officer. He's a veteran. And he was Chauvin's partner. And uh, one of the things that's in his file is he has a history of misconduct complaints. Now, you know, you almost can't do the job without getting complaints. I'm going to tell you that right now. But in this particular incident, he held back a crowd of bystanders who were growing distressed and angry. You may remember uh, there's one guy up there who was um, a big boxer, whatever he was, street kid who kept you know, wanting to intervene and pull Chauvin off. And, 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 the, uh, and this is an Asian American police officer held him, you know, held him back. So uh, the issue here in terms of uh, not about race, the issue is not about race. It's about unreasonable seizure uh, and, and being deprived of liberty without due process. Now, that, that is really uh, 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 based upon a constitutional right to be free of unreasonable seizure. Now, that, well, you, can, you, you, you know that that goes unused all over the place. Unused, all, but it's there in case you need it. So many people say, well, what's that law doing? It's there in case you need it. It doesn't always get enforced, but it's there in case you need it. So race was almost never brought up in the murder trial of Chauvin. Uh, it was uh, turned into race uh, by the streets. The streets and Black Lives Matter turned it into a racial incident. It was not brought up much at all in the trial. Um, uh, it was it was uh, basically about the, not being allowed due process. So uh, Lane, the rookie, uh, twice during the episode, he did ask Chauvin if they should turn Floyd on his side. He's charged with one count of failing to provide medical aid to Floyd, um, which is a duty that cops have under the law. The other two, Kong and Teo, face the same charge plus a count of failing to intervene with Chauvin's use of force. Now, uh, this is, uh, and we've got Jim Murphy here. How many of these experts have had to restrain a drug? Jim, that's the case, you know, um, that's the issue. This is a law that's being dusted off here, is it not? And being used here. Now, you, behind that is why is it being used? Is it being used to appease the mobs who are all growingly anti-police uh, and in danger of absolutely sinking the police culture? You've got to ask yourself, is this is tied to the increasing crime rate uh, just here in this city of 14 percent of youth gangs? Uh, go look at the judicial system. Go look at the adjudications withheld and the number of felonies. And this is up. This is upsetting people that they're walking around. Uh, when they go to the public places, guys who are several times, not just once, but several times convicted felons. So uh, this case, according to some of the criminal professors, uh, focuses on what people have an obligation or a duty to do. Uh, 
you know, and it's not just about cops. Um, you have, you know, this guy, you know, take the, take the situation in Georgia where the three guys chased the black fellow who was jogging through the neighborhood. I am absolutely, totally in that case on the side of the black fellow. If you can't jog through the neighborhood without being chased by a couple of guys, then, then you got a problem. But the third guy who actually videoed it, that guy had an obligation to stop it, not videotape it. And that's what really put him in the jug. So this is, what is the, he was a citizen. He saw a crime going on. Do you have an obligation to stop it? So, and what are the extenuating circumstances of this? This is a, um, a, a really interesting situation. So don't uh, let it slip your attention. It's going to be uh, uh, based on the idea that a, a, an officer has to know when he's doing something wrong. You know, I know a lot of people who don't know when they're doing something wrong. But, you know, go read the ride-along. I hope, Jim, that you'll read the ride-along. Go to Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. I'd be especially interested in your opinion of it. Um, and anybody else who's interested in reading it and give me your opinion of it. Um, so uh, the, the courts have recognized, according to the New York Times analysis, uh, for decades that police officers have a right, or even not beyond a right, but a duty to intervene against other officers. Uh, and the case that spawned all this is the Rodney King uh, situation in 1991, where the Los Angeles police officers um, you know, didn't intervene. Now, this is such a sticky thing. This is the way um, O.J. Simpson got off. Uh, Johnny Cochran and those guys shrewdly put the L.A. Police Department on trial as racist instead of putting O.J. Simpson on trial. It was a very shrewd technique, and it's used over and over. Try the guys who didn't kill the lady. And then the jury will forget, will they not, who killed the lady, which is exactly what happened. So O.J. Simpson gets off because, uh, and, and the stretch, what, the amazing thing was that the investigator also wrote screenplays on the side and they asked him on the stand, I'm forgetting his name right now, if he'd ever used the N-word and he said yes, and when he had used it, he'd used it in his screenplay, which he had written. You know, he should have been sharp enough to say, not as a police officer, as a professional screenwriter, but he didn't. And so it goes in, you got to be quick now. You got to be quick and you got to know when the traps are being laid for you. Um, one of you guys is going to come up with that, uh, who that officer was who got, you know, who uh, was the one. And you had all the DNA and everything, and they turned the DNA into white man's voodoo, and therefore that was prejudicial. So this is, uh, 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 and to be sure, federal criminal cases against officers have been rare, but they have dusted off this rule, and they're going to apply it in what I call the three standbys. Um, in, 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 in Rodney King, there were convictions of two police officers. Uh, 
after they were acquitted in the state court, the federal uh, prosecution convicted them. So um, uh, in the Chauvin trial, there were a lot of Chauvin's colleagues who testified against him, said that he was kind of a rude cop. But this will be a little bit different, will it not? It's going to be not so clear cut because you've got one guy trying to keep the crowd back. Uh, you've got two others who are new on the job. And uh, so I, I call today's show, just so you'll keep it in mind, the three standbys, because uh, they are going to be very important um, uh, how this goes as to how it's going to affect, I would suspect, the behavior of people in the police culture, which is already catching enough flack that um, is having a difficult time, from what I'm told, uh, getting the quality of people hired that they would like to get. And if you read the ride-along, uh, I think and a, a couple of you said you're going to read it. I'd be very interested in your, your opinion of it. Uh, I'm going to cut it off. We've got 9.56. we got about four minutes to go. Um, um, we may run a special tomorrow. I haven't made up my mind yet. Um, um, or I may be back and record this afternoon because I've got um, some, some obligations tomorrow I've got to be at that I can't get out of. But um, I want to thank production and uh, um, keep you guys uh, interested in that doggone ladies basketball team. Don't miss that Sunday. It's going to be a good one. They'll be playing South Carolina, the number one ranked team in the nation. And um, you'll have a good time, I promise you. It's be exciting. Uh, have a great day um, and uh, stay warm. I think it's going to warm up. And, um, uh, but we need a couple of days like this. Do we not, does it kill the bugs or not? I don't think it kills them. But uh, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Warhol Command Center out.